Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show, everybody. Today is June 17th, 2016. Glad to have you all with us. Uh, joining me in our virtual studio uh, from all over the planet, we have Doug, Erica, Gabby, and Tiffany. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello, hey, everybody. Hey. And Elliot can't be with us today, so we will miss him today, and we wish him well, and uh, hope that he gets out from under the proverbial weather. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. So uh, today we are going about uh, the DNA stress connection, trauma from your mama. Uh, so did you inherit trauma through the DNA inherited from your parents and grandparents? Uh, did their view of the world influence your life before you were even born? Unresolved childhood trauma has been implicated in cancer, heart disease, and other health problems. So are we victims of our genes or does the count? in more ways than we realize. So a bit of a nature versus nurture kind of thing going on today, but we are going to delve into this topic. Um, so I guess, first of all, um, I just want to look at some of the, uh, the basic points. Um, I think this is a really interesting concept. And uh, I mean, w- what do you guys think about it? You know, is this something that's... Uh, you know, scientifically established? Uh, is this more of a theory point? Um, I mean, it, it makes conceptual sense to me, but, uh, you know, I, I am not um, 100% familiar with the research. I think that is nature versus nurture kind of on steroids with the twist of epigenetics <laughs> thrown in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's well, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> And since epigenetics is still considered an emerging field, I don't know if anything can be necessarily written in stone. Mm-hmm. What is epigenetics, Tiff? Epigenetics literally means above the genes. So you have your gene and then you have the things that can influence genes being read or not read or turned on or turned off. So at least that's an analogy. my definition. An analogy could be um, if the genes are, is the hardware of a computer, the epigenetics is the software. Mm-hmm. That's or an if, analogy. Or if DNA is the yeah. blueprint, then epigenetics is how that blueprint is read by the contractor. Yeah. Hmm. It's kind of like, you know, after the, the human genome product project, um, their first phase, they kind of had mapped the entire genome, and they're like, well, wait a minute, there's a whole lot that's not accounted for here. Mm-hmm. And then that led to more yeah. research and more digging. And it's kind of like what, they, what they've recognized now with this whole um, field of epigenetics is that, um, you know, it's not just, you know, you're not a victim of your DNA. So, you know, just because you've got the DNA or the gene for breast cancer doesn't mean you're going to contract breast cancer. Um, what's more important is epigenetic factors, which are basically little RNA molecules that um, actually control which genes are activated and which are not. So um, it's kind of like, you know, you might have that breast cancer gene, but if you, um, so the, the, the RNA actually are, are or the, the cell has processes by which it reads the environment and determines which genes should be turned on and which should be turned off. So it's all kinds of different environmental factors actually play a much larger role in whether or not the genes are actually present. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, uh, 
you know, if you're in a, if, if you perceive yourself to be in a dangerous environment, then that will activate certain epigenetic factors that turn on genes that will make survival in a, in a harsh environment more possible. That's just mm-hmm. an example. Mm-hmm. And there, there has been several studies about, you know, uh, where they speculate that, yes, we can inherit our ancestors' trauma. They have done this in animal models, but it, it, nevertheless, it is very interesting. Like, for example, there was um, a very well-known marker of epigenetic regulation. It is called uh, this year F1 gene, you know, and it's related to stress, basically. Apparently, they can measure this gene expression in the frontal cortex. And what a study did, for example, was it was uh, it created a stressful environment for the poor mice, and they started expressing these uh, gene expression in their brains. And uh, when these uh, mice had had their their children, <laughs> um, even though the children were not exposed to any sort or type of stressful, you know, stimulation. Um, they had uh, an increased expression of this gene, which was related to stress in their brains as well. Yeah. And didn't that yes. even affect the, the, their, the parents and then the mice children and then the mice grandchildren? They were even affected by it. Yes. So mm-hmm. it's, it is not only like your children. It could be your grandchildren and grand-grandchildren <laughs> across generations. Yeah, I think they've also seen that in human models. Um, there was one article called the Epigenetics of Stress, and they talked about um, how women who were living during the Dutch famine, they had children, and those children had lower birth weights. But the mm-hmm. children's children also had lower birth rates. And they also found that mm-hmm. daughters of these mothers that were living through the Dutch famine or more likely to develop schizophrenia. Can you say that again, Tiff? You, you were kind of breaking up there. Oh, the whole thing? <laughs> no, just uh, the, part, the last part there. Oh, daughters who were born to these mothers that lived through the Dutch famine were more likely to develop schizophrenia. Okay, they, they, they had an increased rate of schizophrenia. Yeah. There are also studies among children of Nazi death camp survivors. It's like the most, the, like the, the most quoted research, uh, in this topic. And, uh, so it was not only like dietary factors, like, for example, famine mm-hmm. and, uh, certain genes that are overexpressed in the children or grandchildren, but it was also trauma. And yes, and certain risk factors for diseases that are related to stress, like schizophrenia, for example, but also depression and other mood disorders. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess that could be said for pretty much all populations on Earth, because most populations (laughs) have suffered some kind of trauma, you know, war, genocide, Mm -hmm. uh, Ravaging and pilling and raping. Um, so Aboriginal mm. populations, Holocaust survivors, descendants of slaves, Native Americans, First Nations people, 
They could all be said to be suffering from some kind of post-traumatic stress disorder, depending on whatever trauma they were for living on 3D Earth. Exactly. Yes. It does seem that way. Yeah. And it's kind of like, uh, I mean, the implications are huge because suddenly it's not just what you've encountered in your lifetime that may be affecting you. It's what, you know, your parents, your grandparents, like the, who knows how far this actually can get passed down. Mm-hmm. So your entire worldview from birth could be shaped by the traumatic experiences of your uh, ancestors. Mm-hmm. Um, or, I mean, you know, on the other side, it could also be like the good experiences of your ancestors. Like maybe that would, would have uh, an equally kind of profound effect on you and, and what actually makes up your worldview. Yeah, but there was surprisingly little documentation or study on <laughs> transmitting joy through your DNA. <laughs> I know. Well, I have it would kind be a of difficult a, thing to track. Yeah, I have an interesting quote by Thad Nachan, is a Buddhist scholar, and it's talking about the biological fact that the distant past is embedded within the present. So the quote is, if you look deeply into the palm of your hand, you will see your parents and all generations of your ancestors. All of them are alive in this moment. Each is present in your body. You are the continuation of each of these people. Yes, that's so very true. So I found true. that positive in a sense, you know, that we can yes. try and look for those beneficial traits, the idea of community and caring and mm-hmm. family and love. And as Tiffany said, there's not a lot of information out there about that. <laughs> well, there was something that That's I read true. and I can't quite remember which book it was. It might've been biology of belief or genie in your gene. So if, if, you know, if the, the, you know, your ancestors suffered from famine um, then you're going to have the genes turned on that kind of deal are able to deal with famine maybe a little bit better, uh, just as an <laughs> example. So where were we? Doc was saying something about, uh, yes, that you want to inherit certain genes that will facilitate your survival, at least in your environment. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. was wondering if that also applies not to a strictly physical level, but also on a psychological, spiritual level, if you want to say it on, the, on a certain aspect. Like, if you inherit certain genes, will it help you to um, integrate more aspects of yourself? I don't know if I'm explaining this correctly, but at least I have a testimonial mm-hmm. to put as an example. Uh, not too long ago, a few years ago, I did um, a therapy modality, which is called spiritual release therapy. And uh, it, w- it helped me a lot, but basically the cornerstone of the therapy was a certain past life that was very problematic from an ener- energetic point of view. And whether it was symbolic of some trauma I didn't process or it was literal, we don't know. It was helpful, yes. And I integrated a past life and, well, it was a Jewish past life. And yes, it was basically very bad, but... <laughs> When I was uh, basically explained this, I, I, even, I even felt that I remember bits of it that I, I felt like I always knew, but I didn't, like I had it in, my, in the tip of my tongue, but I was never able to process it or integrate it. And not long after that, I started seeing all kinds of connections in my family history. Like I found out after more than 35 years 
that I was actually of Sephardic uh, ancestry. And I was hmm. from what, from one side of my family and the other side of my family, uh, which is Oriental. I started reading, you know, stories of the recent history, what the ancestors went through. And I literally like felt like I was reading my own or the story that came out, came out in that therapy modality in the textbooks, basically the history textbooks. Mm. And after that, I felt even more in connection with people around me and even what is happening right now in the world with the Syrian refugees and the Middle East. Like, I felt more connected with all the terror of history around me right now, you know, hmm. when I processed hmm. what was in the past. So just, that's just an example. <laughs> to, yes. I was going to say, would you say it feels familiar? Very familiar. I cannot describe the emotional aspect of it. For me, it's just like, like it touched something deeply inside of me and I resonated deeply with it. And even, you know, uh, the winter next after that, uh, it was one year after the, that therapy, I sat down with my father and he started talking to me about our family that I didn't knew at all about my grand-grandmother, my grandmother, my grandfather and so forth. And their stories also like resonated deeply, like even to the point when my father told me the name of my grandmother, which is Blanca, which is white in English, basically. Mm -hmm. It's a very unusual name in my environment. And at some point when I was a teenager, I chose that as an alias, you know, and I didn't know why. Huh. I just like, I never heard the name before. Mm -hmm. I just like liked it. It just came into my mind. And I said, I'm going to call myself blank. <laughs> <laughs> everything, everything, it was like, for me, it was like, wow, it was like more stranger than science fiction. <laughs> you know? mm, yeah. But yeah, it was like this kind of stuff. You know, for me. Well, yeah, it brings up something interesting. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, when you did that therapy, did you, was it more of like a, um, like, I guess, uh, meta level emotional processing? Um, or, you know, did you actually have uh, distinct memories, you know, that, that came I to mind? Into my, into my mind actually came distinct memories, like flashes wow. of memories. Mm. And uh, it was very releasing. I spent like, you know, days uh, even crying, but it was not like, you know, incapacitating crying. It was like, finally, like, you know, I was able to touch something deep inside of me that I've been unable to for years, for my whole life. And with the help of uh, this therapy facilitated it. So yes, it could have been a screen memory or an analogy or a symbology. For me, it was like the turning point, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when this research all this biological research. Okay, okay. Chatters are saying that they heard this story. Okay. <laughs> well, how much of this Great. is actual epigenetic DNA changes and how much of this is learned behaviors? Like if you had a parent that suffers from PTSD for some reason, maybe they were in a war or, you know, had their own childhood abuse how good would they be at seeing to your emotional needs if they can't even attend to their own emotional needs? Like if they're having panic attacks, they can't cope with stress, they disassociate through whatever means necessary for them, um, they can't model good behavior for you. So how much of that is just having 
a poor example of a parent and how much of it is actual epigenetic changes. That's just a question I have. Yes. Yeah, I'm I curious think... about that as well. Like if you're, if you, if your parents and your grandparents experienced some trauma, but let's say your parents, like you were born with that trauma not having been dealt with in their lives. And then say, as you were a child, they dealt with it and processed it and raised you without directly passing on that trauma in the manner of your raising, mm-hmm. uh, you know, would it, would it still have the same effect or can it be sort of overridden? I think that it can be overridden if the parent before be they give birth, you know, if a person, at- if the parent before birth clears all of that stuff away and has therapy or whatever they need to do. But I think we're saying the same thing, Gabby. If the parent clears their trauma before giving birth and they're okay, then you might not suffer from any kind of epigenetic or observed changes just by watching your parents. I think, for example, if I, yeah, for example, if I in the present moment, I decide to integrate or to become more whole, you know, emotionally speaking, all the work that I do now will make a difference in my biology, my stress factors and so forth. So I think that, you know, any descendant um, will have a better chance of not inheriting all these Inheriting all these stress factors. Okay, I think uh, we yeah. might be back on. Okay, so where were we? I totally lost <laughs> my place. In the distant past. I think I I was saying... Okay, Great. so what I was saying was I think that there is kind of two different factors going on here. So first of all, there is what you... Um, inherit from your parents. So these are these epigenetic markers, and that is actually a physical thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they've measured this stuff in the bloodstream. You actually are kind of um, getting these things from birth, and they've even measured it, it being passed on through sperm. So you actually are getting it through at least your father, possibly your mother as well. So those things, I think that once you kind of, once you're born, that's there. You've got that. And mm-hmm. it's kind of up to you um, to kind of deal with that and maybe process it in however you can. And the the parents might actually deal with those things um, and and no longer uh, kind of have those epigenetic markers once they've kind of like worked through it themselves. But I don't think that would have an effect on the kid once they're born. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I was mm-hmm. saying at the time. That's how I understand it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So the actual least- DNA itself is not altered. You're born with certain blueprint, but then epigenetically, things can be read or not read or turned on or turned off depending on your environment. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's... Yeah. yeah. So the choice is up up, uh, up to us, you know. Mm. Choice is ours. We want to work through these or not. It yeah. sounds like it's like a, just a default mechanism, just a part of being born, again, like in 3D Earth. It's something that we all have to go through. It's one of the ways that we learn our lessons and that's just the way things are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think, and it's interesting um, from what Gabby was talking about, going through the different, uh, you know, um, spirit release therapy. Um, 
I, I wonder if, you know, you know, the, the way that we, we kind of think about this is that it's, it's literally, you know, you have, um, a spirit attachment or you have a past life trauma or something like that. But I wonder if this is just sort of a metaphorical way of looking at these epigenetic factors. Like maybe, um, you know, we, uh, interpret it in a way that it was living another lifetime or something mm-hmm. like that. But the fact of the matter is it is just kind of a metaphorical way of seeing, like kind of getting a glimpse of these epigenetic factors. I don't know for sure, but I'm just... So it's I'm symbolic sure. then, I know the word. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it could well be. It reminds me of a book um, written by a, psy- a Russian psychiatrist called Olga Karatidi. Now She wrote a book. She's very known for a book titled Entering the Circle, Ancient Secrets of Siberian Wisdom Discovered by a Russian Psychiatrist. And shortly after that, she wrote another book which talks about precisely these experiences. And I think it's called Master of Lucid Dreams, yes. And it basically tells about her experiences in Samarkand, Uzbekistan, where she apparently met like some kind of brotherhood with very ancient uh, wisdom traditions. And she attended a lecture, and basically what she listened, uh, it left great impression on her and basically these um this tradition was implying that um the source of unhappiness and disease was basically trauma and that they mm-hmm. believed that there were life representations of trauma in everybody in all human beings and in their tradition they call them spirits of trauma mm-hmm. and when and whenever somebody hurt uh, hurts you or you don't accept it, accept it fully as a complete part of your history, you create a gap in your memory, a gap which, when the hurt is strong or repeated many times, becomes occupied by a spirit of trauma. And basically, they were explaining that, yes, there's like an internal psychic process, and uh, it is extended throughout each generation by the inheritance of patterns of trauma formed, perhaps long ago, by something on an ancestor went through uh, on distant past and uh, and basically yes like healing was part of like uh, filling that gap you know integrating certain memories or at least acknowledging them you know mm-hmm. the trauma mm. well that also begs the question is if you don't know your history and you don't have any sort of experience with that and it's not shared what does that mean in the in the, the role of things? Well, in that sense, I can tell you I'm very surprised here in the, in the Spanish town that I, that I currently lived. Not too long ago, one or two generations ago, there was a devastating war in this town, which is, was a civil, the, the Spanish civil war. Grandparents, the elderly, they tell me stories that are completely unbelievable, traumatic. Mm. And I'm surprised to see like, the present generation, like literally one and two generations afterwards, they're just like, you know, walking around as if nothing happened. I mean, mm-hmm. I can, mm. for me, it is hard to believe that nothing ever happened just like, you know, 50 years ago or so, you know. And, uh, and the same goes on the planetary scale, I guess. But uh, it, it really surprises me how people can just go on with their lives without mm, not acknowledging you know, what happened just recently. So imagine, you know, what happened in the distant past. Never mind that, you know. Yeah, we see that it in America be. with the native cultures too. 
the complete genocide and decimation. And again, people are pretty clueless, except for the people that still live on the reservations and, Mm -hmm. you know, their rate of illness and sickness and alcoholism is phenomenal, really. Yeah. But I don't know if that's... It makes me wonder, though. I was just going to say, it makes me wonder if... um, you know, even though these people seem completely oblivious to this stuff, if it is affecting them on an epigenetic level that they don't realize, you know, somebody might be suffering from something like, um, uh, like I don't know, like fibromyalgia or something like that. And, you know, to them, they think it's, you know, the doctor tells them, oh, it's just the luck of the draw, you know, you just got it. Or if they recognize it at all, for that matter. But um, if maybe it does have to do with these kind of their their the trauma that their ancestors went through, and and maybe part of working that out is actually kind of researching that and finding these things out and kind of accepting them and integrating them on a, on a kind of deep psychological level. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also realized. the fact that if you are oh. born to a mother who is stressed out and she has all these stress hormones coursing through her system and stress hormones are causing inflammation, and you're born under those circumstances, it would affect you epigenetically, and it would affect your health, your mood, uh, your mental health, and things like that all throughout your life, even if you don't actually know what your history is and why certain things happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you, you know, it's like people you, who have a sensitive, a hypersensitive substratum, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like nobody, nobody really knows why necessarily, but it could very well be because of, you know, some kind of prenatal um, development issue, like some, some kind of uh, issue that the mother was going through while, while pregnant. Or, mm-hmm. yeah, it could, it could be any, any number of things. Yeah, it also it makes dis- me wonder. It's, oh, I was just going to say ahead. it dysregulates the entire system, right? Mm-hmm. So the child is chronically flooded with cortisol and adrenaline stress hormones, and they're in a hypervigilant state. Mm-hmm. So not feeling soothed or the ability to relax. Mm-hmm. Or and they that are out the of brain. And they are out of touch with themselves. I was going to say that if people cannot relate to their own history or to the suffering in our reality, which is happening right now, it is no wonder, you know, it's like they cannot relate to their own history. How can they, how can they relate to other people's suffering? And if they cannot relate to other people's suffering, it's no wonder they cannot relate to their own history, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like vice versa. Yeah. What's fascinating to me about this is it's like essentially like genetic memory. I mean, <clears throat> when you consider, say, African-Americans in the United States um, who feel a, a completely. Hello? Uh, oh, can you guys hear me? You want to there? Oh, you're back, though. I was just saying, I, I think you know, if you consider you know Native Americans and uh, and or African Americans who uh, say take the history of slavery, slavery for an example, uh, who feel an, an obvious and completely justifiable moral outrage at the fact that that mm. took place. Um, but that it may not just be that it may not just be the understanding of the history itself. It may be a, a genetic memory, um, mm-hmm. you know, that was, that was implanted deep in the, uh, in the RNA that carries itself down. Um, that's a fascinating thing to me. Um, 
and it, it makes me wonder we were talking about you know uh children uh and uh, parents you know processing these emotions and processing the trauma you know if you if you were able to say process the trauma yourself before you procreated um you know would you then be able to kind of overwrite that epigenetic factor um yeah i think so yeah i I tend to think that you can because like you know if you if you know by by going through this kind of stuff and having these sort of um releases or uh or dealing with this uh this trauma um you are changing your own epigenetics and if you change your own epigenetics then you are changing what you are actually passing down to your children and even in worst case scenario, even if you cannot change your stress factors, inherited stress factors, but you integrate, you know, your history, your emotions, you are a more integrated emotional person, you know, you will be able to be a better parent, you know, yeah. to your children. So again, well, it all comes sense. down to us as individuals working on ourselves and clearing any past trauma and not having children. <laughs> well, well, that's kind of a joke, but um, yes. yeah. Don't have children until you're until you're perfect. Wait until you're perfect, then have children. <laughs> but at the very least, you know, being smart about having kids. I mean, I, I see it so much here, and I, honestly, I'm not familiar with like the statistics around the world. But anecdotally, just here in the United States, in the Midwest where I live, um. You know, there, there are so many kids that just happen, you know, um, you know, it's like, well, oh, okay. You know, this, this couple married or not is, is having a child now. Um, and there are many, 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 uh, accidental, uh, births. I, you know, however you want to define accidental, but I think unplanned, point kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. unplanned <yeah. laughs> um, that, you know, if, uh, you know, we don't, need to have kind of a, uh, brave new world, you know, um, uh, grown in a lab kind of situation. Uh, I'm not advocating for that. I mean, it would just need to be, uh, smarter as a species about, um, how we procreate and, and whether or not, you know, we're ready for it. Um, mm-hmm. but of course that's a, that's a huge issue and, uh, you're not going to just, you know, wipe a brush across the, the slate and, and, and have people, stop having irresponsible sex. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it gets down to psychology too. I mean, there's so much we still don't know about psychology and being psychologically healthy that just, you know, to say, you know, we should all stop procreating until we figure this all out. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it's completely unrealistic, obviously. Right. So, well, having the information too, um, I was reading about this, and there's a Donald Winnicott. He was a pediatrician and studied psychoanalysis in the early part of the 19th century. And he basically said that two things go wrong in childhood. One, he called the biology of trauma, so when things happen that shouldn't happen. And then the other one is the biology of loss, um, when things that don't happen should have happened. Mm-hmm. And that kind of builds the brute bl- mm. The the blueprint. (laughs) And I think uh, we all mess our kids up one way or another. (laughs) 
intentionally or unintentionally. (laughs) As we were all messed up as children in one way or the other. Mm -hmm. I think Doug, you made Yes. Go ahead. uh, Doug, I think you made a good point there that, you know, this is not just going to be fixed in in one fell swoop. Mm -hmm. Um, It makes me wonder, you know, what what can we do? And I think, uh, you know, uh, recognizing the existence of the epigenetic factors and uh, then say you already have children, um, you know, helping them deal with that as well as you process it at the same time, sort of a parent-child counseling, I I guess. Um, But, you know, is this something that that people, um, parents and their children have to just figure out on their own or, you know, are there... Are there um, methodologies that they can uh, employ, um, you know, mm-hmm. to achieve this? It's somewhere they can look for advice, I guess, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point. I was going to say that it reminds me Gabor Mate's book. It is precisely that situation that you just quoted, you know. You know, parents realizing that they have problems and they already have children, so help, they help themselves first so they can be better parents and the whole family benefits, you know. And uh, starting with his first book, Scattered, uh, which is a look into ADHD, which Gabor himself was diagnosed with. And then his other books, you know, um, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. And when the body says no, it just like goes deeper and deeper, so to speak. And uh, it shows that it can be done, you know, even though when you think all is lost and there is no hope, <laughs> it can be done, you know. <laughs> It's well, it does sort of give you hope because you know that you're yeah. not victims of your genes. There are things that you can do. You can change your diet. Mm-hmm. You can change the way you think. You can meditate. You can connect with other people, and that will all change how your genes express themselves. And not being yeah. identified with it. You know, mm-hmm. reading the literature for this show, the whole idea that traits like alcoholism are inherited and heart disease and and what you can do to build an awareness of yourself, but also the environment and how the environment affects you. Mm-hmm. And also how you relate to your environment as well. I think that's an important component of it because, uh, you know, there's, there's, um, there was an interesting uh, article that we read for this where they were talking about, uh, they, they took a, a, a group of people with P, uh, with, uh, who had gone through a traumatic event and they, they looked at some of them who had uh, dealt okay with it. You know, they kind of were still fully functioning human beings. And although they had had this terrible experience, they were okay. Versus the people who had developed PTSD symptoms. And they looked at, uh, at the, the blood work of these people and they found that the, um, the uh, people who actually got the PTSD symptoms were 12 fold higher in certain epigenetic factors. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it really kind of, you know, brings home the point that, you know, it's not just the environment itself, like objectively what the environment is. It's also, uh, it's like on an individual level, how people are able to deal with that environment Mm -hmm. because, you know, they don't know what it was that kind of made uh, certain people be more epigenetically predisposed to um, having PTSD. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of, it, it, it isn't just, you know, all these people went through trauma, but only some of them were having these symptoms. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it is an individual thing as well. Well, I think probably a, a large problem with that, uh, is the prevalence of, uh, families and children who are not familiar with their ancestral history. 
I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't really have any read on the percentages here, statistics regarding that, but I would imagine, uh, if I think about it, um, just from what I've seen, um, you know, either distant parents, uh, you know, absent parents or families who just don't really talk about the history of their family very much, um, Mm -hmm. that a lot of, a lot of children really have absolutely no, uh, connection or knowledge to, um, you know, not just their family tree, but, you know, the actual, uh, character and, uh, and personalities of their ancestors. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like, uh, per- personally, you know, my, my dad went through and did a, a, a number of years ago, did a whole family tree and we actually talked about mm-hmm. it quite a lot. So I was, I was fortunate to have that experience, but even at that same time, <clears throat> I really only have a, uh, a kind of cursory understanding of the, as I said, personalities and characters of my, of my grandparents. Um, beyond mm-hmm. that, uh, I don't really know, you know, who, who were these people? I, I have their names written down, um, and mm-hmm. maybe one or two of their accomplishments, but, uh, aside from that, not, not much. No, I think that's kind of, uh, the, the way it goes these days. Like, I think we, we are generally a society that is disconnected from our past in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I, um, my my dad moved away from his childhood home, um, moved relatively far away. So I had very little contact with uh, my grandparents on his side. So I I don't know much about them at all. On my mother's side, they were a little bit closer. So I you know I would see them a few times a year at uh, you know different holidays and things like that. But uh, but yeah, it's the same kind of thing. Like it's no we're no longer in a situation where you're raised by a village, right? And you have all these different generations helping to raise the family and telling stories of the past and that sort of thing. It's like it's like you see them on Thanksgiving and that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. And then but the I stories think, shared tend to be more of the positive ones than mm-hmm. the negative ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, the, or the superficial things. But I think any effort that we do to reconstruct our past, our past history, our ancestors' history will bear fruits you know even though for example i'm from my mother's side we're from north korea so forget it i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm not gonna have any records whatsoever but i have i have researched you know um the history documentaries and whatever information i was able to obtain it really it really helped me a lot mm-hmm. and the same goes from my father's side so i think any effort we do it literally helps to reconstruct our life story, you know. Um, so, yeah. I think, yeah. They've had those TV specials. Mostly they use celebrities, so you never know how genuine their reactions are. But where they go back and they dig up their family tree and tell them about their ancestors, and they have this very visceral, mm-hmm. emotional reaction to learning about their past and where they came from and who their ancestors were. So I think there's a lot to be said for that. It can have some kind of healing factor involved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this might be a good time to go to the um, the couple of uh, Gabbermate clips we have. Do we have those available? Yes, Tiff? we do. Yep. Great. Let's do the first one on the uh, was the bio biopsychosocial. Okay. Uh, autism is a disease, and then being a disease, it's got a biological basis. And having a biological basis, all we can do is to work with the biology. That's what it leads us to. And by the way, I'm not against medications. And I'll tell you right now, I've been diagnosed with ADHD myself. 
as have a couple of my kids, and I don't think it's a disease and I don't think it's genetic. And I'll be talking a little bit about this morning, not because I want to give you a seminar on ADHD, because it's a perfect example for me to convey to you the current information on child brain development. So we have a behavior problem or we have a disease problem. But there's a third way to understand human beings, and I think the only way to understand human beings. And that may be called a biopsychosocial perspective. One fancy word, biopsychosocial. What does that mean? It means that the biology of human beings is, for a lifetime, shaped by and affected by people's psychological and social relationships. Now, I'll begin by giving you three examples of that. So, a whole number of studies have shown now that children whose parents are stressed are more likely to have asthma. So the more stressed the parents are, the more likely the kids to have asthma. And in polluted areas where asthma is obviously more common because uh, the contaminated air uh, aggravates the airways, you know, aggravates the child's breathing apparatus, it's still the parents who are stressed whose kids are most likely to have the asthma. Now, if you ask the average medical doctor, explain that study, what's that all about? They really have a hard time with it because medicine separates the mind from the body. Western medicine separates the mind from the body. So we don't consider emotional factors in the onset of illness. And yet I'll be telling you that all, all chronic health conditions are actually related to emotional states and particularly to what happens to people in childhood. So who gets cancer, who gets asthma, who gets multiple sclerosis, these are not accidental events. They have to do with childhood experiences. Because the biopsychosocial perspective says that the biology of human beings is shaped for a lifetime by the psychological and social environment. So a Canadian study here in Toronto, actually, uh, less than two years ago, showed that if you abuse as a child, your risk of cancer as an adult goes up almost 50%. Now, and this is after you've controlled for such factors as smoking or inactivity or other lifestyle issues. Biopsychosocial. Now, if you look back to the case of the child who's asthmatic, if, any of you, if anybody here has been treated for asthma, you know that how we treat asthma is with inhalers. So what happens in asthma is you get narrowing of the airways, so the bronchi, which are the airways, are surrounded by smooth muscle, and the smooth muscle goes into spasm, so the airways narrow. And now you have air flowing through a narrowed tube, so you have the labored wheezing of the asthmatic. Making things worse is inflammation. So the airways get inflamed, they swell up internally, there's debris which further obstructs the flow of air. How we treat asthma is by means of inhalers that, number one, open up the airway, they relax those muscles, bronchodilators they're called, and furthermore we treat them with inhalers that suppress the inflammation so the airways can again be more um, open and conduct the flow of air. What you may not know 
is that the bronchodilator, the inhaler that opens up the airways, is actually a copy of adrenaline. And the anti-inflammatory is a corticosteroid, it's a copy of cortisol. Now, what are adrenaline and cortisol? Anybody here know? They're stress hormones. Adrenaline and cortisol are the stress hormones manufactured by the adrenal gland. Renal means kidney, adrenal means on top of the kidney. So the adrenal gland sits on top of the kidney here on both sides. It sets off or it releases a number of hormones, primarily the hormone named after it, adrenaline. And just like the brain, the adrenal gland has a cortex. Cortex means bark, like the bark of a tree. And so the adrenal gland also secretes a hormone named after the cortex called cortisol. And cortisol and adrenaline are the hormones that our body, through the adrenal glands, secrete when you're stressed. So if I were to stress you right now, threaten you, or just uh, emotionally um, upset you, your adrenal gland would be secreting uh, adrenaline and cortisol, which would help you uh, increase your heart rate, more energy, uh, more oxygen to the muscles and to the brain. It would increase your blood pressure so that uh, you're stronger. It would uh, elevate your sugar levels so that you have more energy to fight or to escape. And those are the hormones that we treat asthma with. Now, what's actually happened here is that the stress, the normal stress response mechanism of the child whose parents are stressed has become exhausted. And now we have to give them extra stress hormones to keep their airways open. So that when children are overstressed, their, their natural stress response mechanism gets exhausted. Now keep that in mind. Because if you look at which is the medication that's used most commonly in all of medical practice for eczema, for psoriasis, for asthma, for multiple sclerosis, for colitis, for Crohn's disease, for rheumatoid arthritis, for certain kind of cancers. What is it? It's cortisol, the stress hormone. But my profession never asks itself, if we're using stress hormones to treat everything, maybe stress has something to do with it? Good point, Gabor Mate. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. That's pretty fascinating. Admittedly, something I had never really thought about before, but he, he makes a really good point there. Yeah. Yeah, and it kind of ties in as well. I mean, he wasn't necessarily talking about the epigenetic factors that can be passed down. But, um, you know, if if, if uh, your ancestor, like even your mother or your, your, your grandparents, were in an incredibly stressful environment and completely, you know, blew out their adrenal glands, um, then that's something that ends up getting passed down. So a child might be born and didn't themselves go through anything inherently stressful, but might just be born with an insufficient ability to deal with stress mm -hmm. just because of what their, their parents or grandparents went through. Mm -hmm. And I think you nailed the topic in just that one sentence, Doug. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, show's over. Yep, thanks, Doug. We're good now. <laughs> well, it reminds me of something too that, uh, and I know I've mentioned before, Dr. Tent, who's a guy from uh, downstate Michigan, um, 
holistic practitioner chiropractor, uh, one of the main points that, that he makes in his lectures is the... Um, okay, I think we might be back again. Yeah, we should probably yeah. just wrap up. That's yeah, due to our, our difficulties today, I think that we are, uh, we're just going to wrap up the show uh, for today. And um, we are going to revisit this topic uh, next week since we were kind of choppy uh, for the whole hour. We'll be uh, back next week.